He is a good God, is he not? He is a good God. No matter what is going on around us, he is a good God. There is nothing evil. There is nothing uh, untoward. There's nothing deceptive in God. He is all truth, and he is all love and all grace. We serve a good God, the God of the universe. Hallelujah. The house on the rock, as we turn to Matthew chapter 7, there was a married couple driving down the road, had a bad argument, and it got loud inside the car, then all of a sudden silence. And as they continued to drive, the husband looked over, there was a field where a number of mules were standing, the husband looked at the mules and back to his wife, and he said, family member of yours? To which the wife immediately replied back, yes, by marriage. Matthew chapter 7. All right, verses 24 through 29. Hopefully that's not true in your case. So... <clears throat> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as they're teachers of the law. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, as we opened it up and look at it, we pray that you would teach us from your word eternal truths that we would put into practice, as this scripture says. And in doing so, God, our lives would be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see what happens when houses are not built on found good foundation. I think there's one more picture that we can show. These were recent um, pictures from a uh, news report on houses that were built right along the cliffs, of course, overlooking the ocean. Great view, but what happens when the cliffs start <laughs> eroding? Not a good thing, don't you think? Uh, you're kind of uh, shaking in your boots, wondering, is my house still going to be there tomorrow? An attorney that my wife and I know was buying a house in the suburbs of Honolulu. That would be a nice place to buy a house, wouldn't you agree? It was a beautiful house, 3,200 square feet, four bedrooms, three baths. Landscaping was just perfect. Pool, swimming pool, patio, garden with fruit trees. 
as he and his wife were about to sign the papers, an outside real estate agent came in, a friend of his, and uh, he says, Kurt, you know, you probably need to get one more inspection of the house just to make sure. My suggestion would be to have someone inspect the foundation of the house. So he did. Come to find out that the foundation was rotten. There were termites that had been eating away at the foundation for years, and it was water rotten. So if he had purchased that house, he would have become responsible for the maintenance of that and the fixing up of that, which would have been another astronomical cost added on to the cost of the house. Needless to say, he declined purchasing that house and chose something else and went with his friend's suggestion. Smart man. Which reminds me of the foundation that we all build in our lives. It comes from the lens that we see the world through, our own choosing. It's foundational truths that we guide our lives by. We choose to live by certain principles that are our foundation. And these truths, listen carefully, can be misguided. They can be based on human reasoning, false teaching, corrupt values, and other things that are not godly. For example, uh, white supremacy. We hear about that a lot in the news lately. These are some of the reasons why mass shooters take to the streets and, and assassinate people because of this white supremacist thinking. All other skin colors and people who don't have your skin color are inferior to you. Sexual immorality is another one. It's okay to have sex outside of marriage. And your lust that you have in your heart, you can feed that lust anytime you want to, anytime it's convenient you. And I thank God for the Me Too movement in a sense because it is exposing the corruption that has happened in our society and in other places for years and years and years. It's been going on. And it's now coming to the surface. And uh, I'm, I'm glad for that. There's another thing of arrogance. Walking over others to serve your own purposes and to allow you to get what you want. These are, these are things that we see through the lenses that we feel it's okay. Sexual immorality, white supremacist feelings or feelings of uh, racism involvement, uh, arrogance. And then, of course, there's religious values. All of us are religious at one point or another. If we don't have God in our lives, we choose to worship something else. It's an idol. If you are in the present position of your life because of a past life mistake or victory, so be it. There is the Hindu philosophy that says you are where you're at now, the low rung of society, or among the wealthy because of past lives that have been lived. Or... When you die, here's another religious value. You fade into nothingness at your death. You become one with the universe. Or, here's another one. All faiths lead to the same 
nirvana, to the same experience in heaven. Or the one that's most prevalent in the United States is that God is not important in our lives. We don't need him. Your belief system is based on these foundational principles. Now, you have to ask yourself, are these principles, these foundational truths, are they right or wrong? Are they good or bad? Are they productive or unproductive? Are they eternally true? Or are they temporarily convenient for you where you're at in your life? The Bible says that we are sinners, that we naturally do things that are against the nature of God, against truth and against righteousness. Our sin nature dictates our choice of foundational truths. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm chapter 51 verse 5, words that David the king penned after he had committed adultery with another man's wife and that had gotten her pregnant and that had sinned this woman's husband into battle and had the troops withdraw so that this man could die in battle. David was called on that by the prophet Nathan. And when he came to his senses and realized what he had done, committed adultery and committed murder, then he came before the Lord and wrote these words in verse 5 of Psalm 51. Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the moment of my conception. We naturally go into doing things that are wrong and against God's word. And if man is basically sinful, as the Bible says, and naturally selfish and disobedient towards God, which we are, then our natural foundational truths are skewed. They're not true north. They're off the track. They're corrupt and misguided. So who can bring us back to true north? Who can get us in the right direction? Of course, the Bible. Jesus says to change your loyalty from obedience to your own self-will and selfishness and pride and then become loyal to him, become obedient to him and to his word. Jesus says, give me your total allegiance. Surrender yourself to me. And Jesus says, I will give you abundant life. Now, the passage that I just read was the end of the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard before the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard the word Sermon on the Mount. Most of you have, right? Okay, it was, I've been there before. I, I, in Israel, it, it's up on a high hill overlooking uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. And it's a beautiful place. Now they've turned it into a tourist trap with a, with a church there, of course, and everything. But it's, it's still a, a lovely place. And there is believed to be where he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. And he spoke the Sermon on the Mount because he wanted to reveal to mankind their need for change, their need to, to shift their foundational truths and the way they look at things from where they're at to where it should be with God. He was showing the sinful nature of man as compared with the holiness of God. These are some of the things that he covered in the Sermon on the Mount. You probably have remembered them. He said to be salt and light. To be salt in a world that is completely 
devoid of morality, to be light to a world that's in darkness. He said to the crowd listening to him, if you have hatred in your heart, it's just the same as committing murder. There's no difference. If you have lust in your heart, it's the same thing as committing adultery. There's no difference. And so by that time, most people, and I would certainly be the one of the ones doing that, going, oh man, I'm toast. He talks about the scriptural grounds for divorce and that there's only really one scriptural ground for divorce, and that is infidelity, unfaithfulness from your spouse. Nowadays, divorce, 55, 60% of those who actually get married enter into the divorce court eventually for all kinds of reasons, uh, incompatibility, whatever, irreconcilable differences. What does that mean? Jesus talked about eye-for-eye revenge. He said, you know, no longer do do you have to get revenge on somebody that does something bad to you. Pray for them. Let the revenge go. Let God get the revenge. Love your enemies, he said. He said, love those who persecute you. And for those who are needy, they're not needy because in a former life they blew it. They're needy because that's just the way things are. There's always will be poverty and homelessness. It says giving to the needy is a blessing from from God, and it honors God when you do that. Prayer and fasting, he talked about, and continuance in prayer. Don't stop. Don't give up your prayer time. And then he talks about treasures in heaven. Don't put your treasures on this earth. Don't build up your bank accounts and and do all kinds of things like uh, lately uh, this uh, person who committed suicide in in prison, uh, Epstein, he had 500, some $600 million worth of of goods and and, uh, property. I mean, what, what good does that do him now that he's in eternity? He said, don't worry, don't fret, don't be anxious. God concerns himself with all of the little things in your life. And don't judge others critically. Don't have a critical eye when you walk outside these doors and look at people and judge them by the way they look, by their clothes, uh, by their talk or their speech or the color of their skin. Don't be critical of other people. And then he talked about the narrow and the wide gate as he started to close up. He says, getting to heaven... There are few people on the narrow gate, the narrow road that leads to eternity. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Most people are on that because they have decided in their lives to ignore God and to ignore his claims through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he ends, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with the wise and foolish builders laying the foundation. And he's emphasizing here, as I just read, the necessity of doing God's word, not just hearing God's word. People think that if they go to church and they hear God's word, that they become righteous. You know, they're okay. And they leave the church and they go out and they pretty much do what they were doing before they came to church. But Jesus says, Put into practice what you hear and what you read. It will change your life and change the foundational truth from which you see everything else. And it's interesting because in this passage of Scripture, there are three things that beat against 
the foundation of your life. One of them is rain. It talks about rain. These are normal adversities, you know, health issues, issues with your boss, family troubles, car troubles. You know, these are normal adversity things, adverse things that happens. And then he mentions streams. Now, normally, streams are, are good, they're, they're, they, but they can become destructive if they become swollen and overflow their banks. And here's some practical examples. Work. You can work so much that you neglect your family and that you put work ahead of everything else. Eating is very important, but you can be not moderate and careful what you eat, but you can overeat into gluttony, and you can do things that you know are wrong for your body. And then, of course, recreation. Recreation is, is good. We all need recreation. But if we get to the point where we don't want to go back to work, and be responsible and become lazy, that's a problem. These are normal streams in life that become destructive. And then he talks about the winds. The winds are extra powerful troubles that are life-changing. Tornadoes and hurricanes and fires that, uh, that you know, these are, these are things that happen, national disasters, financial uh, dis uh, loss, uh, job loss, uh, harsh sickness and accidents. These are these are these are uh, uh, winds that come of, of of adversity that are strong and that are life changing. This incident with our daughter-in-law's grandmother, who is 77, will be 78 soon. In my way of thinking, that's pretty young. When I when I was uh, Arlen's age or Andrew's age back in the late 20s, uh, 20s, 25, 25, 30 or so. 77 was, was ancient, Methuselah age. Now it's no big deal. It's like, hey, you know, I'm still a young person. She's got uh, ovarian cancer, stage four, and it's causing her to really reconsider her life. Betty and I have been praying for her and been praying for uh, our family as well for salvation using this adverse situation. All these things beat against your house, and how is your house going to hold up? How is it going to handle these things? In verses 26 and 27, it's the same illustration. The streams and the rains and the winds. But now you have not just you have just hearers, but not doers. And it says at the end, what happened to the house? It crashed and burned. It was gone. It was a great crash, it says. In Luke chapter 6. It was called complete destruction. There are so many people who ignore God and look through the lens of their life based on their foundational truths, and eventually, one of these days, their lives are going to crash and burn. And they're going to stand before God, and they're going to make an account of themselves before him. This whole passage ends by the crowds going, this dude is amazing. I mean, he's teaching things that are, 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 are just uh, incredible, not like our regular religious teachers. And why? Because Jesus was the truth. He was speaking the truth from God. And Jesus has all authority. So when he spoke those words, they were from the heart of God and they to the heart of man. It is right and true. You can build your foundation on that. And Jesus' life was 
an obedient life, not like the religious leaders at all. The other passage in Luke chapter 6 uh, starts off with the same manner in a sense, but Jesus is giving a sharp rebuke for the followers who profess Christ but are not obedient. For example, he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you to do? And then verse 48 is a scene where a man is digging a deep foundation, laying the foundation on a rock. Look, let's face it, laying a spiritual foundation that will survive the adversities of life is a lot of work. You don't just sit in church and let it come through by osmosis. It takes effort on your part to read the Word of God and to spend time in prayer and to make God first in your life, to have what we call the God consciousness. It takes an effort to do that. But God says if you do, He will honor that. Your life will be an abundant life. You will soar on wings as eagles, as one of the song says today, an eagle's wings. So in your bulletin, the notes, real quickly, there's four points. The house on the rock, number one, is the reality. <clears throat> the reality is the truth. Everyone in this world is exposed to the truth, one way or the other. Some of you say, as I used to say, well, what about the pygmies in, in the African rainforest or, or the aborigines in Australia or the cannibal headhunters in Papua New Guinea in the, in the forest there? They've never heard the word of God. But the Bible says clearly that God has revealed himself in many ways. The truth is that there is a God. The truth is that this God created everything that we see, including you. The truth is that this God wants to have a relationship with you. And the truth is that this God is holy, and we ain't holy. We are lawbreakers. And the truth is that this God became a man and lived on earth in perfection so that all of our unrighteousness could be dumped on him and he would be judged in our place. That's the truth. I'm tempted to do what Saturday Night Live did years ago. Ruth Buzzy was sitting on this big chair, rocking chair, and she would say with her pigtails and a big lollipop, and that's the truth. <laughs> Lily Tomlin, what do I know? Edith Ann, that's right, okay. All right, thank you for the correction. I appreciate that. These are the ways that truth is broadcast to mankind by nature. First of all, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since, listen, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. From the tiniest atom, the organization of a cell in the human body, which are trillions of them, to the, the, the uh, creation and the com com complexity of animal and plant life, it is absolutely amazing. It's no way any of these things evolved from the primordial ooze. They are done by a supernatural touch from an almighty, an omniscient God. 
for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. God's eternal power spoke into existence all that we know, including this little blue dot in the Milky Way galaxy called Earth and his divine nature, which means that the truth of God and all that we know about him, limited as it is, is known to us. His divine nature is good and righteous. Even people living in the uh, forest of Papua New Guinea, the cannibals, know it's wrong to kill your neighbor and to eat them. It, it ain't good. It brings guilt and it brings remorse because that kind of conduct is not appealing to God. It's not pleasing to him. These have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that man is without excuse. None of us are without excuse. That's the nature. Then the second part is the word. God's word through the written word, through the spoken word, through radio. Now, thank goodness, through the Internet, even though the Internet has been used for ungodly and satanic purposes, it is used for godly purposes to propagate the gospel all over the world in countries of the Muslim background, there are, the gospel is getting through through the internet and people are hearing it. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ because there are chat rooms set up on the internet where you can type in questions that you have about this Jesus and answers will come back to you from scripture, from the Bible. And oh, dozens, hundreds, thousands of Muslim people are forsaking their faith and coming to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I think that's a wonderful thing. Psalm 119, verse 60 says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Every word that God speaks is true. And then the third part is the conscience of man. The conscience of man. We know in our heart, as I just said earlier, that there's, there's right and wrong. There's right and wrong, and we are held accountable. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of man. We know deep down inside that we weren't born just for this life to end up uh, dying somewhere and being thrown in the ground like so many people uh, who, who say that's true. That's their philosophy. That's a foundational truth that is from the pit of hell. God says that we are eternal creatures. And when we breathe our last breath on this earth, we stand before him one day in accountability, giving an account of our lives and how we lived it before him and before his truths. So the reality. Secondly, the response to the reality. The response is a simply a decision. Once you've been exposed to the truth, you have to make a decision. What is your response to the decision? Joel chapter 3, verse 14 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Everybody has to make a decision. Are you going to serve Jesus Christ with all of your heart and live your life for him? Or are you going to do your own thing? Are you going to ignore and disbelieve and dis disobey? Are you going to be indifferent to his word? Most Americans are indifferent to God nowadays. Church is a, is a byword. 
sometimes is a curse word. And unfortunately, many people who are of the cloth have made it that way by their actions and what they've done in, in horrible situations. But the church is still God's tool. It's his bride. It's his way of getting the gospel of truth out. And there are plenty of people like myself who arduously, with all of our hearts, diligently want to serve him and want to do right. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. But that means my heart is after him. And I love him with all that I have. Or are we going to respond by accepting it and believing it and obeying it? Your decision determines the foundation that you build on, by the way. How you decide with what the truth that you've received. If your decision, your response, wavers back and forth, you become unstable and unsure, self-deceived. When Billy Graham was just starting out years and years and years ago, matter of fact, he had his first um, major tent revival in the city of Los Angeles in 1949, the year of my birth. He was a young man with wavy, dark hair, handsome dude, tall, uh, milk farmer from North Carolina preaching the gospel. Hundreds of people got saved, including actors and actresses. And one of his associates was with him during that time. And eventually this associate decided that he didn't believe anymore, that this was just a myth. And so we wrote Billy Graham a letter and said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I can't swallow it anymore. And he walked away. Never heard from him again. So your response, your decision is a big one. What are you going to do? Thirdly, the reaction. The reaction. Your decision to the reality of Christ and the gospel determines your actions, your reaction. What are you going to do? This is where you begin to build your house on a foundation. We want your house to be sturdy, to be able to withstand the storms of life and the evil and ungodly and satanic philosophies that are out there. Your house is your life. Decisions and choices and direction, likes and dislikes. Before I came to Jesus Christ, I made a bunch of bad choices and bad decisions. I was lost in my sin. And I, I, you know, I, I don't want to even go back there and, and think about those anymore because it hurt a lot of people, including myself, what I had done. I even thought at one time that abortion was okay, that, hey, you know, if you don't like the baby, just take it out of the womb. What a big deal. But now it's like, oh, my goodness, it, it just grieves my heart when a life is plucked from the womb before it takes its first breath. If your response to the truth is half-hearted and non-existent and skeptical, unbelieving, your life, your house will be built on shifting sand. Your foundation will not last. But if your response to the truth is belief, I believe it, and become obedient to it, and commit yourself to it, your life will be built, your house will be built on the solid rock. Luke chapter 6, verse 48 says a man dug down deep and laid the foundation. It takes effort, as I've said before, to do this. Look, you cannot have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't be double-minded and say, I'm going to serve God on Sundays only, and then the rest of the week is mine. Thank you very much, God. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either they hate the one and love the other, or devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and this world, or money, or whatever this world is to you. You can't do it. You have to serve one or the other. Because at the end, there is a whole group of people who are going to be standing before Jesus Christ one day, and they're going to say, Lord, remember us? And he goes, I'm sorry, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You have to make a decision. And your decision should be to serve Christ with all of your heart. I can tell you this, my friends. We live in a nation that is slowly marginalizing Christians to the side of the curb. And eventually one day we probably will be persecuted physically as well. Right now it's emotional and mental persecution, but it's going to get worse. But I can tell you, it's a Sunday school, pardon the pun, situation compared to our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries. That insert that I gave you, they have decided to follow Jesus and they've given everything to him and they've lost property, they've lost family members, they have been exposed to shame and criticism. They've lost jobs because of their decision. They've been rejected. They've been tortured. And many of them have been put to death because they follow Jesus. So count the cost. It's worth it. And then lastly, number four is the results. I can't tell you because I don't have the capacity to do so. If you make a decision for Christ and serve him with all your heart and build your foundational truths on the rock of Christ Jesus, I can't tell you the glory that awaits you. I don't have the words and the vocabulary to do that. I don't have the capabilities of accurately betraying that. The Bible in Revelation uh, can give you an idea, but it, it's, it's not really until we see it face to face. We will not experience until we stand before God. Because when you make the decision to serve Jesus Christ with all of your heart and you begin to build your house on the foundation of Christ, the storms of life will come, and they will come. They will test your decision. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, turmoil, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. And then in Matthew chapter 7, we read the verses where the rains and the came and the streams swelled up and the winds blew. You're going to have persecution. Some of you are going, well, you know, Pastor, I've been around this I've been around the block a few times, and I, frankly, I'm kind of tired of persecution. <laughs> and me too. We've had a lot of adversity in our lives, those of us that have silver and gray in our hairs, and those who try to cover it over with dye. Like me, I'm so vain. What's that song by Carly? You're, you're so vain. I don't want people to think I'm older than I really am. Although most people nowadays, when I go to the spa, they open the door and say, thank you, thank you, sir, go ahead, you go first. If you can make it to the front desk and check in, you're good. If I were to ask any, any of you what the storms of life 
have been for you, you can name quite a few. Anyone care to belt out a major storm that you've passed through and made it? Anybody? Health, big one. Yeah, Joel has gone through it. Now his wife is going through it. Oh, my goodness. It's like a never-ending, it's like a Job affair kind of a thing, isn't it? Yes. Over a year, he was out of work. Anyone else? Yeah, in general, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're out there, and they're, there's more coming. Anybody else? Adversity. Trouble. Uh, the storms of life. We're not promised a carefree life. Sometimes it seems as though the closer we get to Jesus, the more intense the storms get and the longer they rage against us. But Jesus promises to be with us in the storms. And he says if, if our foundation is built on the rock, we're going to survive the storms and we're going to come out stronger than before. Amen? Amen. We're going to come out stronger because Jesus is with us in the storms. And he says, your foundation is built on me and my word and my love for you. So you're going to survive and you're going to be stronger when you go through that storm. I can tell you right now, folks, at this stage of life, I've been walking with Jesus Christ since I was 40, since I was 26 years old. So that's a lot of years, 40 some odd years. I can tell you I'm a much stronger Christian today than I was when I first started walking. Why? Because I was 100% obedient? No. Because when the storms came and I walked through the storms, I could sense his presence and his touch. And then when I came through, I realized that God had done some stuff in my heart. It had, he had burned away some of that selfishness and some of that idiotic thinking that I had that I was the center of the universe and everything, everyone around me was to serve me. And God was and continues to do great things in my life. As long as I live... And who knows how long that will be. As I told you before, my dad is 106, still going strong. He's the ever-ready bunny of the Florida Atlantic coast. <laughs> still volunteers at a hospital. Uh, recently, I told you he was on Good Morning America. They did a like a 10-minute clip on him. My sister was involved. I think I told you as I saw them on the clip, for the TV program, I said, that's the first time I've seen them walking together without them arguing with each other. Now that my dad has been exposed nationally, he's getting letters from fans, ladies. And Betty made a good comment. She said, if my father-in-law at 106 started dating a 90-year-old woman, he'd be robbing the cradle. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Jesus is our foundation. He's our rock. The reality is him. Truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Respond, decide to follow him with everything that you have. And when you re make that decision, your foundation begins to be built, begins to be dug, 
and then the results come. Maybe not in this lifetime, although you should see some definite changes in your heart, but one day when you stand before him and he will say to you, Barry, why did you dye your hair? No, he will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It will be all worth it. I want to close this morning with a dream that I had. I've shared this with you before. Some of you might not have heard it. When I went through Bible college uh, back in 1970 and 1980, I graduated from Bible college in 1980 and um, got my degree in Bible and was awarded, uh, eventually got a license with the Assemblies of God to preach and then eventually was ordained and blah, blah, blah. But right before graduation, it was a big transition in my life. I didn't know what direction I would be going. Uh, I didn't know at the time that just a couple weeks later I would be offered a job teaching at the a local uh, uh, the, the, the Christian junior high school, which I, I took the job. And that, that was a real eye-opener. But I had a dream uh, just a few days before graduation. And the dream was I was walking through a construction field and there was um, houses that were under different stages of construction. Some of them were almost completed. Uh, some of them were just the frame was there. Some of them were just was just the sides without the roof, uh, the trellises. And some of them were just the, the, the cement foundation. Uh, some of them just hadn't been started yet at all. But it had the um, it was blocked out by wood as to where the house would go. And I'm walking through there in my dream. And I'm saying, God, what are, you, what are you trying to show me here? What's going on? And I remember him very clearly saying, Barry, you have taken the time in your life to lay a foundation of the word of God, which is eternal and true. And he says, the rest of your life, you're going to be building your spiritual house on that foundation. And folks, that's... That's what we're in the stages. We're building, we're building our spiritual house, aren't we? Huh? By the daily choices that we make. Is your house, your spiritual house, not your physical house, your spiritual house, is it in order? Is it laid on the foundation of Christ Jesus? And when the storms come, how are you going to be? I awoke from that dream, and I thought, oh my goodness, God, thank you for confirming in my heart that for once I made a good decision to learn your word and to go forward from there. Bow your heads with me, please. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The house on the rock. That's what we want. We want the houses, the spiritual houses that we are building to be based on your word on you the truth on eternity oh god i just pray father right now for your hand on each person here i don't know where they are at with their walk with you and so god i'm asking that you would through the holy spirit touch them with all eyes closed heads bowed is there anyone here that has never given their life to Jesus Christ. This is a great time to do that after you've heard the word. If you are serious about serving God, 
or if you feel that you've been half-hearted about the whole thing, but really want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today and to serve him and to build the foundation upon which your spiritual house can rest. If that's you, raise your hand. Hey, Pastor, that's me. Don't put it off. One more day. We're not guaranteed another day. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth. And now, Lord, as we go our way today, we pray that you would speak to our hearts very clearly as we begin to build our house on the rock, Christ Jesus. We give you thanks for today, and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's give him thanks for his word today. His word is truth today. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord.